Hello and welcome back to another edition of Collecting Cardboard coming to you from the Daily Item Studio. I'm Robert Ingalls here with my co-host Eric Powick. So you have sent out your first couple cards ever to PSA lately through a friend with a sort of a small group sub there. Yep. I'm very proud of you for that. <laughs> got to admit, I'm very proud of you for that. Very happy for you with that. But I got to say, I'm getting a little annoyed with PSA. <laughs> I'm getting just a, just a smidge annoyed with PSA right now. And it's not because of the grades that they've been giving out. It's mainly because I have an order that's been sitting there since the beginning of March. And now that they've opened up services again to certain levels, people are getting their cards in and back in less than 90 days. And meanwhile, my cards have been stuck there for more than a year. And it's honestly a little irritating, just getting under my skin a little bit. Well, let, let, just give me a second to let me turn the knife a little bit. Um, I sent in those th the three cards. It's a Mike Trout, a Kobe Bryant, and a Tom Brady. I mailed them this week, and I just got a text today from my buddy. It turns out that this group submission, um, he got five five um, entries, but nobody else had anything to, to put in. So I was only the only three cards. They arrived today. So I look forward to watching my card's journey compared to your card's ongoing journey. I, I appreciate the, the little twist there. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. I don't really feel better now that I got that out, <laughs> but that's okay. We'll uh, we'll move on from there. So uh, baseball is back. Is that exciting for you? Absolutely. Yeah, love baseball. It's my. It, I mean, every season the other sport is the, the the sport that is in season is my favorite sport. But like baseball, there's something special about spring training, opening day, and the, the spring season. It it is very cool. I've also noticed that has helped with some uh, card sales recently, for myself and a few other people seem to notice that. Uh, so that's good news for those of you out there who are trying to move some cards. Not only that, baseball is back. Tom Brady is back. Um, gosh, I don't I don't know what to say about that other than man, he's getting old. But. Uh, I think he saw, you know, maybe Russell Wilson's out of the out of the division there, and uh, things are looking maybe a little easier of a path for him. I mean, the thing is, like, they returned all their starters last year, and I'm pretty sure everybody's back this year. Did, did Gronk retire? But I mean, the the thing is, they have a lot of weapons on yes. that team. Like that team is stacked. So, like, if you're gonna make, if you're gonna come back, come back to that team and take another shot at it. You know, I mean. They were very close this year as, as it was. And how would you like to be that guy who uh, bought his last ever supposed Oof. football, Oof. touchdown football, for uh, more than five hundred grand? Man, I can't imagine that's going to help the value on that ball anytime soon. That's not worth a half a million dollars anymore. You're right. No. I mean, the, the first game, unless the first game he comes out, he gets, like, crushed All right, and let's hurt. Th hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not... <laughs> Let's not go there. Okay. Yeah, let's not go there. I'm, I'm not, not wishing any ill on him. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying, the the minute he comes out and throws another touchdown, that ball's value goes down significantly. Um, I, I, I just, I can't, oh man, I feel bad for that person. But then again, I'd probably never buy a football for uh, five hundred thousand dollars. No, in my, in my life, I think people that buy something like that are already playing with monopoly money as it is. I'm sure. Nobody wants to lose half a million, but they're already playing with Monopoly money. 
So speaking of money, uh, we're going to talk about coming up today. We're going to talk about how to finance your collection. And with that, we'll be right back after a short break. And we're back with more of Collecting Cardboard. I'm Robert Ingalls here with my co-host, Eric Powick. I would like to say, first off, thanks for everybody for tuning in today. It's uh, nice to know that we've got some listeners out there, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can get us at di underscore collecting on Twitter. You can get me at uh, ringlis at dailyitem.com. And any questions you have, we'd love to hear from you. So like I said, we're going to talk about... Uh, financing your collection today. That's one of those things you always have to uh, be mindful of is how you actually go about paying for uh, for what you want to buy. Eric, what are some of the, the tips, ideas, any sort of advice that you have for people out there who are looking to buy some baseball cards? Well, my first, uh, my first thinking is that um, with, with eBay, yes, people complain about the fees. Like, selling on eBay is probably going to be your number one way of, 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 of moving stuff aside from trades and that sort of stuff. And I, and I feel like um, eBay's, everybody complains about the fees, but the bottom line is eBay gives you access to a global marketplace. You can sell common cards for a dollar a piece on there. Like, and it's, it's, it's wild to me to think that these cards are, they're probably only worth according to book value, 20 cents or five cents. People pay a dollar for them because they want to complete their set or they're you know somebody from their hometown or whatever. And the eBay, you pay for the opportunity to have access to all of those people. Um, and I sell on, on my eBay store, I, I sell cards for no less than $1.50 a piece. I do free shipping. And that guarantees that I make 40 cents a card. Um, and that's uh, you know, it's, I think that's a big thing. And it's, You're not going to get rich on 40 cents a card, but you're going to get rid of your extra cards. You're going to build up a little bit of money. You sell... 10, 20 of those, I mean, after, after a while of selling a bunch of those and you sell a couple other decent cards, next thing you know, you have enough money to buy a box or to buy you know, a couple packs or buy something that you want to get. I was talking with a mutual friend of ours, and he said that card collectors are notoriously cheap. <laughs> and I won't disagree with him on that. I'm, my wife will uh, gladly call me frugal, <laughs> and I'm, I'm okay with that. I, uh, I tend to try and watch my pennies and, and watch where I'm, I'm spending money. But you're right about the whole eBay thing. So I've done a couple shows and they've cost 40 bucks a table. So in eBay fees, you lose about 13, 13% per sale on average, which I may sound like a lot, but if you set up a show at a show and you buy a table for 40 bucks, you have to sell more than $400 to break even on those fees that you'd be selling for on eBay. Plus you have to spend the gas to get there, take the time to sit there all day, sell the cards. You know, it's grand. I, I liked it. I had a good time. I enjoy talking with people, but you get a lot bigger exposure on eBay. The fees really aren't that bad. And if eBay isn't your thing, that's okay. Let's not forget about Twitter and Facebook. You can sell cards on both of those platforms as well via auctions or stack sales or buy it nows. So you have those options too. In both of those cases, it's still cheaper. You're still going to make out better than if you 
went to a dealer and tried to sell because the dealer, yep. when they, if you're going to a dealer, they have to buy at a, a certain amount to be able to make their, their money back plus make some profit. Like that's the whole point. They own a business. They're trying to make profit. Even if they're best buds with you, like they're going to probably going to be more upfront with you and say, I can only give you this for it because this is how much I'm going to sell it for. And I need to be able to make as much profit on it. Yeah. Usually so, I find dealers are probably between 30 and 50% of book value, yep. depending on the ones that you go to. And Hey, you know what? If you're in a hurry and you need cash, it's usually, you know, cash up front for dealers, which is can be an advantage for some people. Uh, that's one of the good things about selling at a show. It's mostly cash, which has its advantages. I'm not going to go saying those on air, but uh, that does have its advantages sometimes dealing strictly in cash. One of the things that I, I think... Um it's important to think about is that I, I enjoy also like se- selling the cards to me, like pricing the cards and, you know, looking them up and that sort of stuff. That's all part of the collecting experience for me. And I think anybody, if, I think if you get into this, it's a good idea to be, to have that be part of your experience, not to just have the cards and, you know, throw them aside and look at them, like to have, you know, kind of be involved in the, that part of it. And that will help you be able again to get a little bit of, of money back, sell, sell a few cards, make some money back and then um, get some more cards that you want to get. So I was listening the other day to a uh, Denzel Washington commencement address, and he talked about goals. And he said he tries to set a goal for himself every day. You know, he has long-term goals, but he tries to set a goal for himself every day. He said, even if it's just not to cuss somebody out, that's my goal for the day, which I found to be an amusing thing. But I think as a, as a card collector, you should have goals for yourself. It helps you keep your collection focused a little bit helps ensure that you get what you're actually looking for and which makes you a little happier of a collector I think is if you actually are getting what you want and with that said you need to have a budget Um, budgeting just is important you know like it is for life you have a budget for your house for for going out to eat for gifts for people you should have a budget for what you're willing to spend on any given card and then Try and stick to that budget. That's a hard thing to do sometimes, but try and stick to that budget. I think a lot of people probably already kind of do this, but maybe they don't think about it and they don't follow it as strictly as maybe they should. Where like if you walk into a store, it's like I'm, I'm going to spend I want to spend fifty bucks on a box of cards or something like that. Or I guess you can't really buy many boxes for fifty bucks right now. But I think um, a lot of people already kind of do this, but they don't aren't maybe aren't as mindful of it as they should be. And that's a, a very important thing to really kind of set like strong goals for yourself like really really set them set them down for you and and uh, follow them and one of the things that's going to help you finance as eric talked about your collection is selling some of your cards i've found that yes card collectors are cheap but if you're willing to move the cards if you're willing to get rid of them if they're not cards that you want to hang on to long term don't argue over a couple bucks you know if you have a $50 card and somebody offers you 40 for it. You know what? Consider that offer. Think about, okay, that's $10. I can get the 40 now and I can put that into something or you're going to sit on it and you may not get another offer for another month or two. And then you're still stuck sitting on that card. So be willing to, to part with some of your cards. I'm not saying go ahead and give them away for, you know, half value or half what other people are paying for them, but be reasonable about what you're looking for out of your card and think, okay, if I sell a couple here, then I can put that money towards something that I really want to have in my collection for long term. 
with that said, trading. Don't disregard trading. There are people out there that love to trade. I've done a lot of trades with my 71 set, and it's worked out really, really well for me. Don't disregard that. It's a great way to not pay anything on top of what you already have for a card that you want. You know, you got to be mindful of conditioning and, and trying to make a balanced trade. It's a little bit of a negotiating, but be nice about it. And it may work out for you very well. I think uh, um, buying lots of cards also is an, an interesting um, aspect because you're going to get the cards at a pretty good discount. Um, for example, I bought a, a lot of, I think, 75 Peyton Manning cards for around, I think it was 1999 plus whatever the shipping was. And I remember uh, thinking to myself, well, if I, at, uh, again, I sell my cards at, and I make a 40 cents profit on every single card I sell. Um, and that is well under the 40 cents. And then within that lot, there are a couple cards that I want to keep. And like you said, sometimes you just want to, you know, throw, toss some, uh, some cards you want to keep, some you want to sell. And a lot allows you, gives you opportunity to do both those things. One last thing before we go to break that I want our listeners to be mindful of is that everybody shows their hits, but very rarely do people show how much product they opened in order to get some of those hits. There are people out there that open an insane amount of product and spend a lot of money just to get the hits that they do. And granted, sometimes they're really big hits, but if you don't have that upfront cash to do it, then don't go chasing. With that, we'll be right back after a short break. And we're back with more of Collecting Cardboard from the studio at The Daily Item. I'm Robert Ingalls here with my co-host, Eric Powick. Eric, I don't know about you, but I have a box of cards set aside for my own personal collection. If I get a card that I really like, that I want to hang on to long-term, I just tuck it away in the box, and that's where it stays. I bring them out sometimes to look at them and to enjoy them, but I make sure they stay out of the, the other mess of cards, the other pile of cards that I've got laying around, so they don't go anywhere. Um, I have one of those too. Then I also have a, like a, a transitional pile where cards that I might want to keep that I haven't gone quite in the box yet. But yeah, I, I do the same thing. So I want to talk about one of those cards today. I picked up um, last year. It's a 2018 Topps Living Shohei Otani rookie card. Now, first off, I got it because I really like the look of the card. That's one of the reasons why I buy some of these cards is I just like the way that they look. They look cool. It is probably not his highest sought-after rookie card, but they have low print run numbers. They're really cool looking, and you can get them for a pretty affordable price, believe it or not. I think they're really undervalued, the Topps Living numbers. Like I saw even recently the Wander Franco one that came out. That's at like a 68,000 count run. Um, that's it. That's all of them. There's way more of his regular base rookie card out there right now. So for me in the long run, that's a better investment for me. Plus, I think the cards just look cooler. What do you have? You've got, I'm sure you've probably got something that uh, that you tucked away. Um, I've got a, a, a ton, obviously, but the um, the one that I'm going to talk about today, the, one of my favorite cards in my collection is a 1987 Fleer Barry Bonds uh, rookie card 
but it's sealed in a cello pack and it's on the top of the cello pack. So a cello pack is like a, a clear plastic pack. Um, was this was from back in the days before um, hanger boxes. And I, I don't th- I don't I don't even think you can see the front of cards anymore and a lot of the stuff that is on retail today. Um, but this from back in nineteen eighty seven, you could see the card in the front, the card in the back, and this one just happened to happens to have. Barry Bonds on the the front of it, and that's uh, one easily one of my my favorite pieces of my collection. That's a really cool piece because there are collectors out there that specifically collect unopened packs for like cards, just like that, like stars on top. I've seen guys make complete team sets out of packs like that, and to me, that's just crazy. I couldn't not rip packs, but I can easily see not ripping that pack just to keep it sealed Mm -hmm. like people pay big money for packs with stars on it Um, i've seen some of the basketball packs that you can look through and you can see through the label like you can like if you press it up and you shine it to a light just right you can see who's on top right and they get packs graded like that and I, i plan to get this one graded like it's i mean it's the the barry bonds card's not centered perfectly but still i want to have it in a slab and just to you know have it be part of that that's my slab collection. So yeah, I th- I think it's a really neat thing if you can get if you can get a uh, a pack like that with a star or a favorite player on it. It's really a nice piece just to add to your collection. Speaking of that, there's a there's a few things that are coming out that you may want to pick up for your collection. Uh, we've there's an MMA release that's coming out shortly. There's a Panini Contenders basketball coming out. And as far as baseball goes, there's a Topps Inception coming out. So be on the lookout for those, and you can uh, possibly check them out and add them to your collection. So we're going to be right back with Cards That Weren't. It's a fun little, uh, fun little tidbit of very interesting card knowledge and history. And we're back with more of Collecting Cardboard. I'm Robert Ingalls here with my co-host, Eric Powick. So I want to talk about a little bit of history in the baseball card world today. I find this very interesting, uh, very fascinating. So believe it or not, there are sometimes cards that weren't actually made um, and cards that that were made that weren't supposed to be made. So back in 1954 and 1955 in the world of baseball cards, you will not find a 54-55 tops Mickey Mantle. That's because in those years, Mantle was exclusively signed with Bowman. Apparently back then, Bowman and Topps were big rivals, and they tried to sign players to exclusive contracts. So in 1954, Bowman started to print Ted Williams' baseball card. And then... It was, I don't know if it was sued or if they were informed that Williams was signed to an exclusive contract with Tops and had to stop printing and pull cards out of their set. There are some of those 54 Bowman Ted Williams out in circulation. There's not a lot of them. They're kind of hard to get and they're a little pricey if you can get them. But 54 and 55, Mantle was not in Tops. He was in Bowman. In 19... 19- 56 before the card season tops bought bowman take a guess how much tops bought bowman for million bucks not even close Twenty thousand. 
$200,000 it said that Topps paid for Bowman. At that point in time, from the history that I was reading, Bowman was selling about $500,000, $600,000 a year in cards. So why would they only sell for two hundred grand? Well, apparently the owner, the original owner of Bowman Cards, got out of the business around 52 when Topps came in. So the person who owned the Bowman Card company at that point wasn't overly interested in keeping it. There was, they had a, it was sort of a side business for them. So they Topps and Bowman had going back and forth with litigation over these exclusive contracts. And you're talking in 54, 55, they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on litigation. That may not seem like a lot today, but when they weren't selling a million dollars a year in cards, that was really cutting into their finances. So the guy at Bowman just decided to get out of it and sell the tops. So tops bought Bowman in the 55 to 56 range and put him out of business and didn't bring him back until the late 80s. So that's why you didn't see anything else really other than tops up until around that point in time. I just I want to throw in that uh, since you talked about cars that are that that never were or that should never have been um, the T206, the, the Hannes Wagner, that card. I mean, something we could probably do a whole episode just about that card. But like that card was created, but then was not supposed to be created, and then was. Uh, um, I think most of the copies are destroyed, and the only couple. That's why it's, it's worth so much, and why it's kind of like this holy grail card. Um, just wanted to throw it out there, and make sure p- people were aware that we did know that that was one of those cards that was should have been, uh, should was should not have been. Can see some of the old timers now saying, "You idiots, you forgot that Ex- one." Exactly, exactly. But like I said, we could do probably do a whole episode about that that card and everything about that card in the in our hobby. All right, with that, we're gonna leave it there and say thanks, guys, for tuning in. Like I said, we'd love to hear from you. And with that, collect what you like and be kind.